Good afternoon. afternoon. If you're like me when you were growing up, you probably heard the saying, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. It was usually well-meaning adults trying to help a child after they were hurt emotionally by the words of another. Although people mean well when they say this, it can actually be a very detrimental phrase, leading people to believe that the words they speak have no real effect. But the truth is that words can and do hurt both me and you. The spoken word has great power and is emphasized throughout the entire Bible. We are given wisdom and instruction on what we should say and also what we shouldn't say. You know, we as Christians tend to get wrapped up in trying to rank our sins, even though that's, we know that's not how it really works. For most of us, it's something like murder at the very top of our list. Like that's something you just can't do. And then a lo- little lower on the list, maybe it's something like stealing. Like That's bad, but it's not nearly as bad as murder. But at the very bottom of most of our lists would be our speech. But based on the amount of scripture relating to our speech, I think that might be a bad judgment on our part. Turn your Bibles really quick to Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 through 37. Matthew chapter 12 verses 36 through 37. Jesus says here, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, if we were to go back and try to re-rank our list after reading this verse, I think we might be more inclined to put our speech towards the top. There are countless ways we can use our words in a sinful way. But I'd like to spend the next few minutes discussing five different ways that we can use our words to honor God. The first way is encouraging others. Paul entrusts us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, to therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you were doing. You know, for a lot of us, speaking words of encouragement can at times feel awkward. Or maybe we just don't think about the impact that our words can have on other people. But I think if we could step out of our comfort zone a little bit and simply seek out opportunities to encourage others, it it can become more of a natural habit. So I encourage you to take time to tell preachers, teachers, song leaders, and those who offer public prayer that you appreciate them. Look for those doing good work behind the scenes and let them know you notice them and appreciate them. Tell others when you are proud of good choices they have made. You never know when your words of encouragement are just what someone needs to be lifted up. I'm sure we can all remember a time when someone spoke some encouraging words to us and the impact that it had. We should never underestimate the power of an encouraging word. And Paul reiterates this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 by saying, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Number two speaking words of love and comfort. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says, The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may, able, may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We're all going to be faced with situations in which we can offer love and comfort to someone who needs it. And scripture plainly tells us we need to take advantage of those. I think that it's often difficult for us to offer comfort because we don't know what to say, or we don't want to say the wrong thing. So then we just kind of step away, and we never say anything at all. 
Of course, it's important for us to judge each situation, but when we don't know what to say, we can simply offer to pray with someone and point them to reminders of God's truths as a means of comfort. But just letting people know that you're there for them is also a means of comfort. I personally am not a very good comforter, but I have found that just being with someone who needs comfort can be just as effective as talking to them. Number three is speaking from a place of restraint and patience. I think for almost all of us, this is probably the most difficult thing for us to master regarding our speech. God puts a big emphasis on speaking with restraint and patience all throughout the Bible. He knew that this was something that we would all struggle with and how hard it would be to master. The Proverbs have many different verses regarding this topic. Starting in Proverbs 15, verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Chapter 21, verse 23, whoever keeps his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Chapter 17, verse 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. There are countless other passages all reiterating that using restraint and patience in our speech glorifies God and accomplishes much more than a quick, angry response. It can be very difficult at times for us to speak with patience. I feel like in today's culture, it seems like everyone responds with hate and without much thought for how it might affect someone else. But if we are truly trying to honor God with our speech, we have to behave differently than everyone else. If you will go ahead and turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, where Paul tells us exactly how we are supposed to act when we're in these difficult situations. Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Paul says that if we want to honor God, we have to speak with patience. Number four, if we're going to honor God with our words, we will at times have to use words that confront. There's going to be a time in all of our lives when we know a fellow Christian who isn't living the way they're supposed to. In these situations, we are called to confront them about their wrongdoing. Now this is something that we often mess up. We all have a tendency to want to tell people how wrong they are or how dumb their way of thinking might be. It's very hard for us to confront someone without being hateful and talking down to them. But Jesus teaches the exact opposite of that. John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that Jesus is full of grace and truth. When he confronted people about their sins, he displayed those same characteristics. A great example of this is in Mark chapter 10 when he confronted the young ruler. We've all heard this story plenty of times, but we usually don't take the time to look at the way that Jesus responded to the man. When the young man asked Jesus what he needed to do to be saved, Jesus didn't just get angry and tell him that he loved his money too much and that he would never be saved. Instead, we read that Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Jesus confronted the man graciously, but he never compromised the truth. He carefully spoke to the man, showing his love, to show the man the true motives of his heart. Jesus also gives us specific instructions on how to confront an erring member of the body. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, Jesus gives us a three-step process to confront a member. The goal of this is to honor God by keeping the body pure and also bringing that brother or sister back into the body. 
So if we can confront a member using the process that Jesus laid out for us in Matthew 15, or 18, and also speak to them like Jesus spoke to the young ruler, then we have honored God. Number five, speech that is spiritual. I feel like this is an aspect of our speech that often gets overlooked. We typically don't think about the many different ways that we can use our speech spiritually. But I think it's one of the most important for us to understand. First of all, confession is a huge part of our Christian journey. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In this letter, Paul was telling the Romans that before they even begin their walk with Christ, they must confess that Jesus is Lord. And then Peter shows us another way that we can speak spiritually. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he tells us that we always need to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the hope that is in you. At some point in our lives, we're going to have to give a defense for our faith. Whether it's a friend or coworker asking us, or maybe we have to ask ourselves why we believe the way we do, every one of us will have to answer that question. And if we want to be able to answer it, then we'll have to do some studying. We have to really sit down and do our own work to grow our faith and knowledge so that whatever situation we might run into, we can give it offense. Colossians 3.16 gives us more ways that we can use our speech for a spiritual purpose. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I think we can sometimes forget that when we're singing to God, we're actually using spiritual words to honor him. It's very easy for us to just sing the song and not think about the words that we're saying. But I think this is most, one of the most important ways that we can honor God with our speech. It also says that teaching and admonishing each other is a means of spiritual speech. So that means every time you teach a class, give a lesson or short devo, or even just host a Bible study, you're using your speech spiritually. So I think we should try to take advantage of every opportunity we have to do these things. In the fall of 2016, a fire consumed Pigeon Forge in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Thousands of acres were burned, 14 people died, 150 were injured, and more than 2,500 homes and businesses were destroyed. This massive fire is believed to have been started by a couple of teenagers who decided to start a campfire. It's hard to believe that such a tiny fire could lead to such devastating effects. But it reminds me of what James says in chapter 3 of his letter. He calls the tongue of fire a world of unrighteousness, staining the whole body and setting on fire the entire course of life. He claims the tongue is a restless evil that cannot be tamed. After reading all of this, it makes me that much more thankful that we don't rely on our own power to control our tongue. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 reminds us, that if we are in Christ, then we are a new creation. As Christians, we are constantly being transformed to the image of Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are called to be different from the world, and a part of being different is the way we use our speech. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. So just as our speech can be a spark that creates devastating effects, we can also use words that create a spark to light a fire for the glory of God. Amen.